The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas. I'm your host, Mel Fambergas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, stop delaying it. Just go to VeritasRadio.com and click on the subscribe button. Next time you go to the movies, you'll be paying more than what it costs for one month of Veritas. And our information will certainly help you find the truth you won't find in the movies. And for MMS or our pure organic sulfur, visit the Veritas store. Did you know that the scientific and religious communities are concealing crucial information that are key to humanity's freedom? Tonight, we discuss extraordinary secrets that have been hidden from the world until now with our special guest, Dr. Scott McQuaid. Right now, on Veritas. Dr. Scott McQuaid is an internationally acclaimed author and lecturer known around the world for his research into ancient texts. He has been in dozens of radio shows and has taught thousands of individuals from all over the world, many of which have been personal students of his at his private learning network, The Inner Circle. The information Dr. McQuaid provides is life-changing and is of only the highest quality. If you are a genuine truth seeker, when you read Dr. McQuaid's books or listen to his teachings, you will know once and for all that you have found what you've been seeking. This is information that is not available from any other source. It's exclusive to Dr. McQuaid's research and will transform your thinking. As a no-nonsense individual, Dr. McQuaid has only one goal in mind, teaching the truth so you can be free. And to learn more about Dr. Scott McQuaid and his work, visit his website at paxionpublishing.com, which is also linked at our website. And as the saying goes, Veritas vos liberabit, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Here's Dr. Scott McQuaid, who will share his truth. Hello, Dr. Scott McQuaid, and welcome to Veritas. Hello, Mel. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's my honor to be here. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I was uh, was telling you offline, I just finished the book, one of your excellent books, The Tribulation, and I am newly one of of, of those who has been exposed to your work, and and I have to say, I don't know why I haven't found you before. Many people say, first of all, many people say they want the truth. By the way, may I call you Scott? Certainly. Yes, you may. Many people say they want the truth, but what they really mean is that they desire to find a body of evidence that supports their existing belief system. 
Why do you think that is? Well, you know, we are we are biological creatures, and one of the things that we are, are accustomed to is comfort. That's one of the things that we seek out. We are not genetically predisposed to moving outside of that comfort zone in order to behave properly, I should say. And, you know, the Bible talks about this when it says that um, people want their ears scratched, especially in the in the time of the end, uh, because as the pressures of life increase, as, as stress increases, as anxiety and depression and all these related things uh, and debt also increase, people desperately want something that's comfortable and they want to be reassured that what they have been taught their whole life is true because that is a that is a point of reference for them that they can look to and say oh okay i'm all right even in the in this chaos in the world if i just if i just cling to this you know truth or, or belief system that i've had my whole life then i'm okay so they're really looking for a confirmation that uh, that they're on the right track it's it's a comfort thing and it's uh it's it's something that uh it's really genetic it's something that we're programmed to do and you know i'm sure in the interview, we will talk more about that and why that's the case, but that's that's how I see it. Absolutely. And just as I've said many times during this show, I grew up a Roman Catholic. I was an altar boy for, for over a decade. And I asked questions. And for some reason, those questions put me in trouble. And I always wonder why. If, if, if people are here to learn the truth, why is it a sin for many the perception was to me that it was a sin for me to step outside that box. Why is that? Right. Well, it's the old slap on the wrist with the ruler from the nun. <laughs> exactly. Kind of thing, you know? the, uh, the, the efficacy of religious institutions and the dogma and the uh, mass uh, embracing of the doctrine is contingent upon people believing the doctrinal lies. If if people actually knew the truth, they would run as fast as they possibly can from religious organizations and institutions. And the powers that be know that. I mean, they know that if if you know the truth, you will not be compliant. And whether it's wittingly or unwittingly, the ones who govern the religious institutions, the churches, we'll, we'll call them pastors for our purposes. Sure. They, you know, they they understand that if, if uh, first of all, if you if you ask questions and they don't have the answers, then that to them undermines their authority, and it's that authority that keeps them, you know, <clears throat> well, it keeps the bills paid. To be quite honest, I, I went through this kind of this exact same thing when I was in uh, Bible school and seminary and all throughout. I would sit in the front row, and I was always a thinker. You know, I I always wanted the truth. Um, because I believe what Jesus said. He said, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free, which is your mantra. Mm-hmm. And and, and I, so I would get the same response. I would raise my hand, and I would say, you know, I'm just curious, since we're on the topic of the flood, I'm curious why, you know, there are two renditions of the creation story, once in Genesis 1 and once in Genesis 2, and could you explain that a little bit? Why would man need to be created twice? And I would get the same response. Well, you know, I would get uh, a mild scolding, so to speak. There would be a, a little chuckle in the room behind me of the students who thought that the same thing the teacher did, and, and they would tell me, well, there are just some things that we're not meant to know until we are in heaven. But Jesus said that to get to heaven, in other words, to be free, 
we have to know the truth. So that, that was immiscible to me. Jesus' words and the words, the answers that I would get from my teachers, some of whom were world-renowned biblical scholars, did not mesh with me. So I feel your pain, <laughs> Mel. I was I was in that same situation, and it's very frustrating when you when your heart is really focused on the truth. I was going to say, did we go to the same school? Because it's exactly me <laughs> in the front of the room. Because I wanted to be. I never understood the kids who wanted to sit in, sit in the back. I wanted to learn, and I wanted to ask questions. But one of the reasons, you know, I, I always wondered why we had this amnesia, widespread amnesia. Is that contrived? Is this something that we, for some reason, were genetically modified to forget? Or is this part of the plan to to make us mushrooms, to be in the dark? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I definitely think that is the case. And, um, you know, we, this is, I think, why we have deja vu. And um, the, the shroud, however, that has been covered with which we've been covered, that has prevented our memories from surfacing, is very thin. Now, it's getting thinner. Uh, this is why, you know, I'm able to, to know these things. It's taken a long, long time and a lot of work, but it's. I would not have done that, and, and you would not have been on the course you're on had you questioned things. And, you know, back 100 years ago or so, People didn't, you know, really question things like they do now. Part of that is because of the resurgence of, of knowledge that we have. We're inundated with knowledge and it's readily available. But at the same time, there's a curiosity now that I see that is, is really unprecedented, I think, in human history. Uh, not just because of the knowledge, but because there's something intrinsic within us that wants to know and, and furthermore knows that something is just not right in the world today. Let's start with the word English. What is the real meaning of the word English is? Well, the re- the real meaning. Yeah. <laughs> the real me- it describes our language and it describes uh, a culture and uh, you know the English people, but uh, from England. Uh, but at, like so many other things, I've discovered is that the the, the deeper meaning. Of of this word and others uh, is really you know we can see it in the present day language. Ingle the the prefix of English e n g l is uh, it is a an old word, an old Gaelic word that means angel. It means both angle a n g l e and it means angel a n g e l. And you find this mixing this this. Uh, uh, mixing of letters to create anagrams uh, all throughout language, in, in every different language, in every different culture. And there's a reason for that. But the, the suffix of English, I-S-H, is a Hebrew word which means man. So English literally means angel man. And people might think that's strange or you know, ask why that's significant. Well, it's, it's a reference to who we are. In the book of Daniel talks about the angels who would mix their seed or mingle their seed with the seed of men, but they would not cling to one or as one another as iron does not cling to clay. And this is this is literally uh, who who this is in reference to the English, and the English language is full; it's turgid with 
with elucidating information, if you know how to look and where to look, uh, it sheds a lot of light on, on what's happened in the past, in the ancient past, as well as what's happening right now. So that's what it means. It means angel man. The ish at the end of English rhymes with enuma elish. Is there a correlation there? Well, I would I would have to say absolutely. I'm sure this is in my notes somewhere off the top of my head, though I would say that uh, um, it is a reference to the same thing, actually, as English, because numa is a reference to the, the breath, uh, for instance, that was breathed into man. Uh, we would... Um, you know, it's, it's a word that we use today, the pneuma. It's a reference to the lungs and breathing. And ish is also, like you say, man. And el is a reference to the ones who did this initially, called Elohim in chapter 1 of Genesis. So, yeah, that's, that's a very good insight. Uh, and that's, I'm sure, that is what, what that's a reference to. Because they were the ones who, in the Bible, first created man in chapter 1. And, and they did not make man, they created man, and there's a very significant difference. And all the stories in the Bible, as I point out over and over and over again in my works and everything, come from those ancient stories. They are not unique to the Bible. They were not inspired by God, and the Bible is not inerrant. They, they come, those stories come from texts far predating the, the uh, Bible. And the Jewish scribes. And this may be a, a quick parenthesis unrelated to the book, but I wanted to ask you out of curiosity, Israel, I've heard that it's it's uh, the combination of the words Ishtar, Ra, and Elohim. Do you lend credence to that? I do, but that is, that is actually an exoteric uh, meaning of, of that. Um, Israel... <laughs> I, you know, we should start in the beginning, because I don't, I don't want to move ahead without giving a foundation, sure. but there's a very significant reason why Israel is represented by, and is the only country that is represented by a single six-pointed star, uh, with, with a line below and a line below, or excuse me, a line above and a line below. And that, it's a reference to genetics. That's exactly what it means. You can call it the Seal of Solomon, you can call it the Star of David, uh, you can call it by different names, but it is a hexagram, and that is a reference to part of our DNA. It's a very deep, hidden, and uh, important story uh, for the powers that be uh, to enable them to rule as they do today. And uh, it's one of the reasons why there is a very significant bond between uh, Israel and the United States, who is the only the only country who flies uh, 50 red pentagrams on their flag. There's a connection there, and it's literally a hidden, concealed genetic connection. This is why uh, most of the presidents, for the last 50 years at least, have talked not only highly, but very, very highly of Israel, and talk about there being an inextricable bond. Uh, Obama says that uh, the safety and security of Israel is sacrosanct, meaning it's above everything else. Uh, so, but we, we know we can get into some of that, but I, I really, I would rather start in the beginning and tell why this is the case before I jump into that, because it sounds a little outlandish if people don't have a proper foundation upon which to base that. So, Let's do that definitely. Let's put the foundation, because uh, I'm curious too. Well, it has to do with what happened in the very beginning. 
has to do with what happened in the very beginning. When, when, I, was, when I set out on this course, you know, the Father had orchestrated some things in my life that had climaxed, and the culmination of those events I knew was orchestrated by Him. And He brought me to my knees in many ways. And I said, you know, at that time, I was broken, and I asked the Father to guide me and lead me, direct me to the truth so I could know it and teach it to other people. And when He did that... I said, I said, you know, where do I begin, Father? He said, I want you to start in the beginning. Now, I had read through the Bible many times. I had, I had sat in Christian, uh, you know, I was, I was in the first class that a Christian school ever had in my area. I was the first in the first class, and from that point on, all of my education was Christian, junior high, high school, several colleges, several seminaries, on and on, through my masters and my doctorate, and everything was based within Christianity. And so it was a little interesting that the Father had me start in the beginning, because I had written papers, I had taught classes, I had preached, I had, you name it, I had, you know, been on mission trips. I was, I thought that I knew what the Bible said. Well, it was, it was shocking to me when I started learning the truth, and very humbling to me when I started learning the truth. Because when you, when you realize that what you have learned, what you have been taught, has mostly been a lie, or at the at the least, truth mixed with a lie. It's a very humbling experience. So, and that's that's what people must go through. If regardless of your background, that's what people have to go through if they want to know the truth. You you must humble yourself before the Father, and He will give it to you. He will show you where to go to get it. And you know that's why I do what I do. He's He's called me to do this, but He took me to the beginning. And when I looked at the beginning in Genesis, I was, I was starting to get blown away. Because my questions that I had asked and never received answers for were finally being answered. And here's one of those questions that I, I mentioned at the beginning of this, of this uh, broadcast. I had always asked, why was man created once in Genesis chapter 1 and then again in Genesis chapter 2? And no one was able ever to answer that. They would always say, well, it's just a retelling. It's a retelling of the creation. Or they would say, you know, we're just not supposed to know until we were with the Father. Well, here's the answer to that question. And I want to tell people, if you are listening to this broadcast, I would strongly encourage you to grab a pen and paper. Grab a drink if you want. It's going to be a while. <laughs> we're going to be on here for a little while. But you're going to get things in this broadcast that you won't find from any other place on the planet, I promise you. And these are important things. These are crucial things for you to understand. Because what you've been taught thus far, regardless of if whether you're a Christian, a Muslim, a Hindu, an agnostic, an atheist, or somebody that just doesn't care, <laughs> and you're caught up in the cares of life, you're going to learn things that are going to transform your life if you let it. And these are important in order to, to understand the Father and His truth. So, in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, we go through these these things that are being made, you know, it starts out in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, etc., etc. And we go through, and we see that things are being made, and we see that things are being created. And now, at, at a first glance, uh, at a cursory review, that doesn't make a difference to pastors and theologians or Christians or anybody reading it. They just think that, you know, the author of this text chose to use make in one uh, verse and chose to use the word create in another. 
which we do when we're talking. But that's not the case. Everything in the Bible is highly significant, but you have to know how to look for it. So we go through and we see things are made, and the word make is the Hebrew word asah, A-S-A-H. We go along and we see that Elohim says, and the word used for Elohim in this context is God. God said, let us make. And I want to, I want to say that again. God said, let us make man in our image. And then the very next verse says, so God created man in their image. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. Because at the end of this chapter, what we're told is that, it says this, it says, And God looked and saw that everything he had made was good. Everything that he had made was good. Well, I just got done explaining that man was created. So what does this say then about man? Well, man was not in that list of things which were deemed good. Because man was not made as the things which were deemed good. Man was created. So, what happens then? Well, man did not... Whether it means that man was not morally good, which I don't believe, or it means that man was not good, meaning that he was not suitable for the purposes of, quote-unquote, God, I think it's the latter. Man was not suitable for the purposes of God. So what happens? Well, if you take the Bible in the English language, in the language of the of the uh, man mixed with clay language, or man mixed with angels language, like I explained at the beginning, and you take it literally, you're going to look at the next verse that says, and so God uh, rested on the seventh day and sanctified it and etc., etc., and blessed it and and because he was finished working. I'm paraphrasing, of mm-hmm. course. So I don't have that right in front of me. But that is not what that means. Three of those words, blessed, sanctified, and I think it's rested, are all the same word. They're actually kalah, K-A-L-A-H in the Hebrew. And there's another word that is that means the same thing, but they're translated in four different English words. The three words which mean kalah, K or which are kalah in the Hebrew, blessed, rested, and I think it's uh, sanctified. You have to forgive me. But uh, they mean, in the Hebrew, kalah, which means exterminate. Literally mean exterminate. So you have three words in the Hebrew that are exactly the same. They're kalah, exterminate. Yet in the English, you have three different words. Same in the Hebrew, kalah, kalah, kalah. Three different words in the English. Blessed, rested, I think it's sanctified. Why would this, well, how could this be the case? How could a, an honest person who's translating the Bible take three of the same words and translate them in three different ways in the English? Well, it's because they didn't want you to know what really happened. To know what happened, we simply go down into the next section of chapter 2 in Genesis, where it says there's a new figure on the scene. And in the Bible, it's translated the Lord God. Well, that is another horrible translation. It's not the Lord God. It is simply, in the Hebrew, it is four letters. Y 
H-W-H, or yod Hech vav Hech. So how do we get the name the Lord God? Well, that's that's another trick that they played on you. And if you're wondering how this could possibly be, especially since people listening may think that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant Word of God, God would never let this happen. Well, you have a lot to learn, and that's why I'm here, and that's why I encourage you to take notes. This is what I do, and this is why you need to pay close attention. That figure is some someone hidden behind four letters. It is not Jehovah. Jehovah is not a name and never has been a name. To get Jehovah, you have to have vowels. And there are no vowels. Even in the oldest texts we have, there are no vowels. See, Hebrew and Mandaic and Aramaic and others, these are, vo- these are languages that are void of vowels. They are, they are called Abjad, or some are called Abugida languages, and they have to have vowels or vowel markings to know what to put into the consonants. Okay, and there are no vowel markings in the oldest rendition of the Tetragrammaton that we have. So it's not Yahweh Later either. on, correct, exactly, Mel. It's not Yahweh, it's not Jehovah, it's not Yahuwah, or however people want to manipulate the vowels and whatever, say it differently. It's none of the above. It is not a name. But I'll tell you here in just a little bit who that is a reference to, and it'll make all the sense in the world to you when I do. This is something I had to discover because I, I couldn't find it anywhere. It's not written in a book. It's not written in a curriculum. It's not spoken in, in seminaries or in churches. It's nowhere. I had to find it, and I'll share that with you briefly. So you you have to wonder how, why they did this to trick you. Well, you have to know who it was that did it, first of all. The one that translated the King James Version of the Bible, upon which the most of the other Bibles that we have in the English are, are based, was Francis Bacon. Francis Bacon was hired by King James to do this. He did not simply edit the Bible. Francis Bacon translated the Bible. Big difference between editing and translating. And the reason he did this to to trick people is because Francis Bacon was a member of a hermetic society called the John Dees Society. This is history. You can look it up. And the John Dees Society, being hermetic in its philosophy, is the same as Freemasons, the same as the Illuminati, same as the Brotherhood of the Serpent and the White Brotherhood and all these other hermetic societies. This is why pastors are taught a methodology when they are in seminary to interpret the Bible. And that's why that methodology is called hermeneutics, hermeneutics. Pastors will laugh at this. Theologians and biblical scholars will laugh at this. They will say that there's no connection between Hermes and hermeneutics. But that's because they're unlearned. They're educated, but they haven't learned the truth. Hermeneutics is the science of interpretation. That is, that is the science under which exegesis falls. That's, that's the, the, the way that they do their interpretation. That's actually what exegesis means, is interp- to interpret and so they do it under the science of hermeneutics. In other words, the, the philosophy of Hermes is what governs exegesis. And this is why there is not a single pastor, biblical scholar, theologian, anywhere, who understands the things that I'm talking about. But this is all foretold, this is all prophesied, and we can get into that later. But this is why they need to pay attention, because we're, we're living in Mystery Babylon. Just like it says in, in Revelation 17 and 18, and we're told to come out 
of Mystery Babylon. And Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun. What happened before will happen again. This is why we are again in Babylon, just like we were in the book of Jeremiah, when we were led into slavery. And just like it says, all you know, it's in Jeremiah 2, 8, 10, 10, 21, 12, 10, 22, 22, 23, 1 and 2, and other places. If you look in Ezekiel, for instance, the ones then, at that time, prior to the founding of Christianity, about so, around 2,600 years ago or so, the ones who led the masses into slavery in Babylon were called the pastors. In each one of those verses that I gave you, Ecclesiastes, again, says what happened before will happen again. There's nothing new under the sun. So we are in this cycle. And again, unwittingly, for the most part, it is the pastors, once again, who are leading people into spiritual enslavement. So I I wanted to say that. I know I digressed a little bit, but I wanted to say that because people are always saying, oh, the Bible's in the the inerrant, inspired Word of God, and it's just not true. Let me interject here for a second, if I I might. I apologize. But I'm I'm, I'm thinking of the word pastor. In Spanish, pastor is sheep herder. So we are the sheep. We are the slaves, right? That's exactly right. This is why we are called sheep. And there are different kinds of sheep. Jesus said, my sheep know me, and they, they know my name, and they know, or hear my voice, and they know my name, or my voice, excuse me. And so there, there's, there's, a, there's a separation, a culling, if you will, that's taking place, and this is why I do what I do. This is what I'm called to do. You will not be able to ever separate from the herd unless you know the truth. That's just what Jesus said. So this is why I've spent the last 15 years doing this, so people can, can be free if they choose to be. Well, so, what about the word Elohim? I mean, we, we're told that we are we were created by one God, but I've also heard that right. the word Elohim means gods in plural. Right. It, yes, and that is the next thing I'm going to talk about. That's the, the next Good. thing. Let, let me finish up sure. here with this, and I'm going to talk about it because yes, Mel, that is very, very important. We've been misled for a very long time. So, so what's going on here when, when we look at the words uh, blessed, rested? Uh, sanctified, I think it is, and the others, in verse 1 of chapter 2, in reference to God's behavior after creating and making, our English says that it means to rest, to bless, to, you know, all these things, but those words are kalah, meaning to exterminate. Well, why was this done? Well, because man, once again, was not made, he was created, and only the things that were made were considered good meaning suitable for the purpose of Elohim. So, man was exterminated, literally. But that's a hidden story that's never been told in, in verse 1 of chapter 2. How was it done? How was this extermination done? If you go down further into chapter 2, you see this new figure, which is falsely called the Lord God, and or Jehovah or erroneously called Jehovah or Yahweh. That's, those are not names, as I got done explaining just a little bit ago. So what's going on here? Well, it says that this figure, called the Lord God, or Jehovah, took man from the dust. Okay? But the word dust there is the Hebrew word afar, A-P-H-A-R, which is, it's no mistake that it is the prefix of the English word Pharisee. Okay? Because these are the same entities Actually, the Pharisees that Jesus warned about constantly, along with the scribes, 
and this entity, the Lord God, really were one and the same. It says that the Lord God, or Jehovah, took man from the dust, the afar. And that word can mean dust, but when you apply a proper context, it should mean, and it does in the Hebrew, it means ashes or cinders. And Elohim, the root of which is El, were the ones that that caused this fire to exterminate man, and this is and caused these cinders or ashes, which is what the word afar means. And so this is where we get the story: the cinders of Ella, or Cinderella in English. Okay, and this is one of many, many fairy tales that are put into our children's minds throughout, you know, the the decades and centuries, really. Uh, to indoctrinate them, to put the truth right in front of them, but hide it. Because this is what, this is what the Talmud says. The Talmud, which is, you can call it the Jewish Talmud, you can call it the Babylonian Talmud, it is a set of, of oral tradition, which is now written down in a series of volumes, that really governs those, those ones who wrote these, these stories, the Jews, the, the scribes, which were always at, at odds with Jesus. And so this is one of many stories uh, where we find uh, this, these deep truths hidden. And so, so what happens then? Once, once man has been destroyed, once man has been uh, turned into cinders, this new figure comes on the scene. And this new figure takes man from these ashes and does not make, it does not create man, but molds man. The Hebrew word for the method by which this figure, the Lord God, or Jehovah, uh, molded man is Yatsar, Y-A-T-S-A-R. And it's an altogether different process. And so, what is going on here? What in the world is happening? Well, to know these things, you have to take the words of Jesus and, and some different things in the Bible to heart. One of those things that helped me tremendously when I was searching the truth about this this issue, was a verse that says that we are to seek the old paths wherein is the good way, wherein we will find rest for our souls. I thought, well, rest for my soul, that sounds pretty good. And, you know, I'm going to take this seriously. So what is this, Father? And I prayed about it and fasted, and, and he showed me that I need to go back to the original word. All right? The original word was manipulated. And, you know, this is where this is where all languages stemmed from. It's just like it tells us in the Bible, that they all were of one language and one tongue at the Tower of Babel until, they, until God mixed their tongue. In other words, God mixed the word. God adulterated and corrupted the word. And that old path, that ancient path, the word old there is olam in the Hebrew. It means ancient and enduring. And it has, that word, that, that language has endured, just like it says, for millennia. And you can find traces of that ancient language in any language that you look at. I don't care if it's, if it's Russian, if it's Hebrew, if it's Aramaic, if it's English, whatever. It's always there. It's enduring, just like the Father said. So, I went to this language, which happens to be the Sumerian, and the, and the writing of the cuneiform in the Sumerian. And the Father showed me that what must be done, it's not an option. Anybody who wants to know the truth must 
do this if they're going to engage in exegesis and they want to know what the words, the stories, the allegories, the metaphors, and all these things mean so they can un- uncover the truth. What must be done is the logograms of this cuneiform must be applied to the biblical text, period. There is no debating it. This is irrefutable. I have proven it over and over again in all of my books and everything that I do. It's a fact. Now, you can do this also with some Aramaic and some different things, but you have to go back to the languages that the Bible was not written in, because what's happened is sneakily, okay, underhandedly, just like the scribes took the stories from the ancient cultures, the Sumerian, the Babylonian, the Chaldean, the Hindu, and twisted them to create what they present as their own stories, which no one questions, because of the doctrine they also created, which says these are inspired by God, right? Given directly to the scribe by God, so no one questions it. But what they've also done is they've taken the language, and they have taken bits and pieces of it, and cut it up, and they've created words out of them in the Hebrew, the Aramaic, the Mandaic, even the Greek and others, to create new words and new languages. And no one questions it, because, you know, it's just the way it is. (laughs) Over time, they've done this, and it's been a very incremental and insidious process. So when you go back and and you undo this, uh, you find a great deal of information, and one of the one of the reasons that I knew this was the case also is because the Father directed me to a verse, uh, a couple of verses in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter twenty nine, fifteen and sixteen says that there were men long long ago who turned things upside down, which also translates as backwards. And it means to pervert it. They perverted it by turning it backwards and flipping it upside down. And their doing of such will be looked upon as the potter's clay. Well, that told me that they corrupted the foundation. Because the potter and the clay are at the foundation. And and this is what has happened. And that's that's why the Father took me back to the beginning to start uncovering these things. And this is what's happened. Let me let me explain. Whether it's the story of Adam, who in the Sumerian is called Adama, or Eden in the Bible, which in the Sumerian is called the Eden, or uh, Ishtar in the in the Babylonian, who is called Esther in the Bible, or more or Marduk. Who in the in the Babylonian or excuse me in the Babylonian who in the Bible is called Mordecai or um, there, there's there's many of these Noah in the Bible is from the Babylonian Ninhertzog who is the man who built an ark to save the animals and his uh, children his family based on the the instructions given to him by God uh, told in the Epic of Gilgamesh. And this is Noah who did the same thing in the Bible. And, and, you know, you can go on and on and on, even into the New Testament. All of these stories, another one that comes to mind right off is Abraham. Abraham is referred to as Brahma, B-R-A-H-M-A, which is a perfect anagram in the Hindu tradition. Brahma had a wife named 
Sarasvati. And Sarasvati is referred to as Abraham's wife, Sarah. Okay? And these, it's, everything is there. Everything is there. And so those of you listening who think that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant Word of God, especially those of you who cling to the King James Version, uh, you, you really need to just put aside your doctrinal viewpoint and listen to the truth. Because Jesus told you, you will never be free unless you know the truth. And this same sentiment comes from other great teachers also. So, so what's happening here? Well, the creation story, as I just explained, came from the Babylonian and the Sumerian. As you mentioned earlier, uh, Mel, the, the Enuma Elish, okay? Yeah. And what's happening here is that man was being created, not by God, okay? Because the word God is a horrible mistranslation, as I mentioned earlier, when it comes to Elohim or Jehovah. The word God in the in the English translation is is false. The word is Elohim. Elohim, even when you go back to the Hebrew, never meant God. Never. And it was never singular. It's always um, plural. And what it means is gods, with a little g, plural, rulers, judges, magistrates, and angels. That is what Elohim means. So there weren't magistrates and judges doing this, and it wasn't gods as we think of God, the Almighty. These were the ones who were the fallen angels. This is precisely who they were. And they were working hand in hand with the one called the Lord God in the next chapter. They were trying to get the creation of man right. And they just couldn't do it. And that's why they destroyed him first. And this is why the Lord God came in chapter 2 of Genesis to take on this work. Now, people might say, well, well okay, well, that's the Lord God is, is God then, right? No, it's not. Let me go through this briefly. You've got Adam in the Bible, and you've got Adama in the Sumerian. You've got Eden in the Bible, and you've got that same location called the the Eden in the Sumerian. And you've got man made out of the clay in the Bible, and you've got man made in clay pots in the Sumerian rendition, which long predated the biblical rendition. So, all of these all of these, they're not even similar. They're the same. They're exactly the same. All of these things are the same between the Sumerian rendition and the biblical rendition. So, does it not make sense, also, that the one who actually created man or molded man would be the same also? Well, absolutely it would. And this is exactly the case. And you can, you can see this if you look at the sixth tablet of the Enuma Elish. Who was it that did this? Well, the let me say this first. The ones who did this are referred to as the Ijiji and the and uh, the Anunnaki. The Ijiji and the Anunnaki, both of which were the fallen ones. It says in the the tablet of the Enumilish, sixth tablet of the Enumilish. It calls them specifically the fallen. Just like the Bible talks about the fallen angels. 
Well, people say, well, what does this have to do? What do the Anunnaki have to do with Jehovah or the Lord God or Yahweh? Because this is blasphemy. This is what I'm hearing is just, is just is blasphemy. No, it's not blasphemy. You think it's blasphemy. You think it's heretical because you've been taught lies for 2,000 years. It's been ingrained into you, your grandmothers, your grandfathers, your great-grandmothers, your great-grandfathers, and on and on and on into perpetuity. It's epigenetic now. It is exactly the case. Because as I teach and I show pretty succinctly, genetics are the same as spirituality. The molecules that make up our genetics, (laughs) quite literally, are houses. They are spiritual houses. This is how people can be dwelt inside of. This is, the Bible talks about it. Many ancient cultures talk about this. Demonic possession. This is how it can be done. And, and this, is, this is what's going on here in this biblical story that has been twisted. And by the way, the root of the word Elohim literally means to twist. Just like our DNA has been twisted. Our double helix DNA is twisted. It was supposed to be straight, but they twisted it. Just like they, being the scribes that they are, who not only wrote the code on our DNA, scribed the code, they also wrote much or most of the Bible itself, which is a macrocosmic representation of two-sided double helix DNA, which has yeast in it, or leaven, just like the Bible also, just as Jesus said, had leaven in it. This is why Second Timothy 2.15 tells us that we need to rightly divide the word of truth. Divide is the Greek word orthotomeo, which means to cut. So, the, the idea that the Bible is inerrant and inspired by the Father, the true creator, is nonsense. It is a very destructive and, and dangerous doctrine. And, you know, if you listen to the words of Jesus and you take them seriously, there's no problem with that, because he he warned against this. He warned against the scribes, the Pharisees, seven times in a row in chapter 23 of of Matthew. He warned about them and called their their leaven hypocrisy. So so just listen to what he says and, and listen to what I'm teaching you so you can know how to do this. So we have the Anunnaki, the fallen ones, who are doing this work. They literally... Created man, and, you, and people say, "Well, what does that have to do with Jehovah or Yahweh?" Well, to to get this, to to fit this piece together, I had to go back from the Hebrew to the language that directly preceded Hebrew. It's a sister language of well, it's, it's it preceded Hebrew. It's called the Aramaic, and in the Aramaic, what what I had to do was I, I had to transliterate the Y-H-W-H, into the Aramaic letters. And then, once I did that, I had to undo what Isaiah 29:16 told me that men had done to the language long, long ago, and turned it backwards, which had been esteemed as the potter and the clay. Because this is the potter I'm dealing with. Jehovah, Yahweh, I'm dealing with this. And they're turning things backwards, would be esteemed as the potter and the clay, and the potter's clay, just like it says in that verse in Isaiah 29:16. So, the YHWH transliterate to I A U A, 
But when I took them and I turned them back around to their original form that they were in before the scribes got a hold of them and turned them backwards, like Isaiah 29, 16 says they would do, I turned them backwards and I got A-U-A-I, which are simply the vowels of Anunnaki. The Lord God, and all you have to do to get that is just reinsert the letters they took out. N-N-K. Anu. Naki, the Anunnaki, which the Enuma Elish calls by name the Fallen, are one and the same as Jehovah, Yahweh, or the Lord God, mentioned for the first time in Genesis chapter 2 and then all throughout the Old Testament. Both Elohim and the Lord God are mistakenly referred to as God in the Bible, or the Lord in the Bible, because these are those who it tells us in Isaiah would raise their throne above the stars of God. And who, furthermore, the Bible tells us, will call themselves God or raise themselves up like God. This is Lucifer. Whether you call, just like Isaiah says, that Lucifer fell. And the word that it uses to describe Lucifer in Isaiah, it says Lucifer was the son of the morning. But but the word son is Ben, B-E-N. And that can mean both male or female. This is what is going on. Make no mistake, if you read any of my works, you will get, uh, you know, I say this humbly, but you will get an erudite explanation, step by step, how this works what was actually going on and who it was that was doing this. This, you see, everything has been turned upside down. Everything. Jesus warned over and over and over about the scribes and the Pharisees and their leaven. And they always were interrogating him. They were always trying to twist his words. They were always trying to corner him doctrinally. And they never could do it. It used to frustrate them. You can read these stories in the Bible. They picked up stones to stone him at one point, and he walked through them. They hated him. So what you have here is you have the fallen ones, called the scribes, Pharisees, Elohim, Anunnaki, Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord God, who have, who have represented themselves as the God of humanity, the creators of of man, because they have tried, as they have tried to usurp the role of the Father. And, and this is, look, I, I understand, it, it, some of you who are listening, you might be Christians, you, you know, you've come from a background of, of, of the Bible, and you go to church. It is not my or the Father's intention to hurt anyone's feelings. You know, this is not the purpose of teaching the truth. The truth is the only way for you to be with the Father, to be free. Right now, we are literally slaves. Now, we have the creature comforts. If, you, if you're you know, lucky enough to live 
in uh, the United States or some other country. We have creature comforts. We've got our television. We've got our, our iPads and our iPhones and our, and our computers and our, the good food that we get, which, you know, is full of GMOs and chemicals now. But, you know, we have music, music to listen to. We have our cars to drive. And so we have all of these distractions, which are creature comforts. It's an and illusion of freedom. That's exactly what it is, Mel. That is exactly what it is. And, but the thing is, if you, if you sit somebody down and you get them by themselves and, and you get them to be honest and you get them to put, you know, put down the wall that they have to keep up when they're out in society to put on these airs, people tell you that they're tired. People tell you that they, they feel like a slave. And, you know, they, but you have to get them outside of their, their social norms. I mean, I, I, I know this is true because I talk to people all the time who tell me things that they wouldn't tell their husband or their wife or their, their best friends or things because of the relationship I have with them. And they, I'm telling you, your, your next-door neighbor, your husband, your wife, your child, listen to me. People are living lives of quiet desperation because they don't know what in the hell to do. And I say what in the hell because, you see, <laughs> that's where we are. That's truly where we are. And I explain this in detail. We, the Bible talks about fire. It talks about the lake of fire. It talks about fires of Molech, for instance. Well, when it talks about the fires of Molech in the Bible, it says, it says that Israel was told not to put their children through the fires of Molech. They did this, though. They did this. And this has a double meaning. You know, the hermetic philosophy, as above, so below, does contain truth. It does. Sometimes. And what's happened is, when they, when they came down to do this to man, they brought with them the tenets from the place they came, from heaven, if you will, to try to superimpose them, although they're twisted, to try to superimpose them here on earth. So when it says we're not to put our children before the fires of Molech, what that literally means is we are not to put children through molecule a very specific molecule. Now write this down, please, people, because this is important for you to understand. Are you talking about DNA manipulation here? Absolutely, mm. yes, absolutely. We were told in heaven not to put children through the fire, the genetic term for, well, let me get that in a minute, but they took the law or a... Well, they took the law that governed them where they were, which was the truth, right? And they, came, they brought it here and twisted it. That's what Elohim, the root of Elohim means, to twist. And before the fall, the, you know, the standard was to not put children through Molech. But Molech, M-O-L-E-C, in the Bible is simply a play on the word molecule. Okay, so these stories about Israel, you know, putting their children in the, the hands of this big iron bowl, the fires were lit underneath it and all this, 
that may have some truth to it. I don't know that there's ever been any uh, archaeological evidence to show that that is actually true, but I know for a fact that many of the stories in the Bible are purely allegorical. So what this is truly telling us is that they were not to put children through this specific molecule. Now, when they brought this, and this molecule is one part of our DNA, Okay, because the place from which we came, we didn't have DNA. We were different. We were we were altogether different. We were spiritual, all right? Not spiritual mixed with physical. We were spiritual. But the angels wanted to procreate, all right, in their own way. They rejected the way of Jesus. This is why he said, I come in my Father's name and you receive me not. Uh, and he was the way, the truth, and the life. So they rejected the way. All right, and so they they twisted the law, and so in the Bible, when it talks about uh, how Israel was not supposed to put their children through the fires of Molech, what that word "through" literally means it, it trans it translates as above. So here's what's happening: Adam in in the Bible in the in the creation story in chapter two had something taken from him. Okay, he was he was created, and I guess I should start. I guess I should say preface it by saying this: If I asked ten thousand Christians where Adam was made, ten thousand Christians would tell me that he was made in Eden, and they would fight to the nail to get me to right. believe that. Yes, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say that Adam was created in Eden. It says that the Lord God, Jehovah or Yahweh, whatever translation you're using, took the man. Adam that was created and placed him into Eden. And to know where man was actually created or conceived, you have to go back to the Sumerian. And the Sumerian, in the Sumerian, there's there's two logograms, well, there's three logograms that refer to a planet. And two of the three logograms, which are T-U-R, and D-I-S, together which are pronounced tortoise, means Saturn. But it also means the birth hut of man. Think of a manger, okay? The birth hut of man, and it means Saturn. Well, it's no mistake that that third logogram in the Sumerian, which refers to Saturn, which literally means Saturn, is Gena. G-E-N-N-A. And when you take that word and you go to, to any of the languages uh, that I mentioned earlier and more, for instance, Mandaic, Aramaic, Hebrew, Greek, uh, Arabic, and others, the word Gena, or a very similar word, Gena, or, or Gehinom, or uh, different ones that are very, very similar to that, all mean hell. Okay? So, that is, Saturn is a representation of hell. That's why it's called Saturn, because that's the old name for Satan, okay? Which is another name for Lucifer. I was going to ask you, is, Saturn and Satan were one of the same. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and this, is, this is why what I'm going to say next is so important and, and will make more sense to people. Well, hold that thought, because we have to break the the two sectors into one. We have to uh, take a a quick break and and separate both. But when we come back, we want to continue with this. And I also want to know why, why was there always a need 
to speak in parables? Why the need for these mm-hmm. shrouded stories? Also, you mentioned slavery. I want you to discuss mortgage, mortgage, which mort means muerte or death. A lot of this and much more when we come back. But please tell the audience, how can they be more exposed to your work, the inner circle, your books? Well, I've had thousands of people contact me over the years and want to want to spend time with me on the phone and, and learn, and I can't do that, no. you know, as being one person. So you can go to innercircle.us. It's a learning network and teaching network that I set up specifically for this, where you can read my works. You can, you can uh, if you become an apprentice, you can spend an hour with me one-on-one every month. I can teach you these things, the deeper things. That's innercircle.us. Excellent, folks. Don't go anywhere. I'm here with Dr. Scott McQuaid discussing the book, The Tribulation, Hidden Secrets Revealed from Text Predating the Bible. Fascinating and so much more when we return. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important interview. To listen to the rest, go to veritasradio.com and subscribe. You will receive your login immediately. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back. Enjoy. In the Holy Bible, it tells of a day When the beast shall walk among us and many shall fall away Famine, war, and desolation Nation rising against nation Trouble everywhere you turn as in the time of Noah, in the days before the flood, sin will cool the love of many, and the streets will run with blood. Rape and murder, grief and sorrow, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, this world is gonna burn. I believe that we are living in the days John wrote about. The end times are upon us, and I'm fat there. Flame and star comes down. 
Dr. Scott McQuaid, and you are listening to Veritas. 